welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. We are in together, in unity, in Jesus' name. We are in the series that I've entitled... Amen, look at y'all. Just pause for a second. You're not going to get me. We are, we are in the series entitled King and Kingdom. When I, when I was first meditating on this, I'm like, yes, Lord, we need to start uh, growing in, in our revelation and our knowledge of the kingdom. And, and the Lord uh, said that I want you to also understand me during the course of this. So that's why, the, that's why it's entitled King and Kingdom. I don't want you to be all kingdom and no king. That's unbalanced. If you're, and if you're all Jesus and you're no kingdom, you are totally unbalanced. And I know people that are in both these places. And then I know people that are in neither of them. This is one of those, you've got to understand the king, and you've got to understand how his kingdom works in order for these things. What Jesus came to do was to preach the kingdom. And I know that messes with a ton of people because they, well, you know, he came to deal with our sins. He came to die on the cross. He came to, he came to preach the kingdom. In order to create an opportunity for us to get into and experience the kingdom, he had to deal with our sins. He had to go to the cross. He had to do all that other stuff. But his message was over and over and over and over was about the kingdom. Repent and receive the kingdom. If his message was then that, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then his message today, if we had a guest minister today, Jesus Christ, and he stood up here with the lapel microphone on, I'm pretty certain he would be preaching on his kingdom to his people. So that we would get deeper into experiencing that. Amen. And the reason I paused is because he, he might say a few things to me. <laughs> I would hope that he would say, Steve, you're like the Philadelphia church. For those of you that never read Revelation 2 and 3, the Philadelphia church was the good church. The other six churches, one of them was okay. Five of them, he like super fussed at them. So I w- there, that's the reason I paused because I was, I was thinking like, Lord, would you fuss at me? Would I be like the Sardis church? Read your Bible. Luke chapter 12, verse 31 and 32 are our foundational verses for this series. This is Jesus, the King, speaking, but rather seek ye, and the rather is before this, he was saying a lot of folks that are not a part of my kingdom... The Gentiles, people that are not in the covenant of God, are seeking all the things they're seeking. Uh, In their day, obviously, the things were different. 
but the application is the same. There are people that are seeking baseball stats in today's world. Like, they literally get magazines and study and watch, and, and they got to write down baseball stats. And people can tell you more about baseball than they can tell you about the finished work of the cross. And then they, obviously their lives are destroyed, and they won't want to admit it because they wear cub shirts all day long. There are people that can tell you more about cars than the king. There are people that can tell you more about the news cycles than the one who gave us the good news. The, and I, and I'm, I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not picking on anybody in here. If, 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 those land, if one of those things landed on you, that's on you. And it's not because I was thinking it. But the, the Gentile, people that are outside of the covenant are folks that are seeking all of the things that they need for their own lives. It is your responsibility to make you happy. It is your responsibility to provide for you. It is your responsibility to find and get and and give love. It is your responsibility to uh, for knowledge and wisdom. It's your, it's your responsibility for everything. If you're outside of the covenant. If you're in the covenant, you have a God yeah. who wants to be your father... And he wants to father you into all of those things. Amen. And for most of the grown-ups in the room, like we're way too old to be fathered. That's the problem. We at somewhere around well, for me it was around sixteen, you get super arrogant, you got it all figured out, and you don't need anybody to help you with nothing. Until you need someone to help you with something. And even then you're kinda of like, Well, you know, I mean, I really know how to do this, but if, You'd show me to see if you're doing it right. And then when you get really, really grown up and mature in the Lord, you realize that there is no good thing in you at all, and the only thing good is God, and you are completely leaning and depending on Him in every area of your life. That's grown up. And I know for a bunch of folks, I ain't that way. I'm independent. I'm a self-made man. Yep. That's a major problem. But rather seek ye. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, seek first. Seek first. And I would, I'd love to be able to like take a spiritual fillet knife and cut everybody open and expose your souls. And ask you under the unction of the Holy Spirit, raise your hand if you're seeking first. The king and his king. Don't you dare. But raise your hand if you're seeking first. And watch your soul under the compunction of the Holy Spirit either raise their hand or not. Amen. That's why it's quiet in here because we're all like, There's times, hey, I'm sitting in church, ain't I? Seeking first right now. Well, God bless you. And that's good. I want you sitting in here. There's a... There's a gajillion people that aren't sitting in here. There's a bunch of people that are running around out there that say that I love God and I believe in God and I'm a Christian. And there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them that they ever even seen a Bible. And I'm being really honest because they call me all day long. And they are, they, I've had people literally beg me to help them with uh, religious exemptions for the vaccine because the vaccine is killing millions of people. Two percent of everybody that gets the vaccine is dying, and that's awesome. 
probably should have used different words, but whatever. Uh, and so I got people that are calling me, God bless them, and I'm trying to help everybody I possibly can. But I do warn folks, like, before you go and try to apply for a medical or be, uh, a religious exemption, uh, you need to understand that the religious part is really the important part. <sighs> Amen. Um, and I tell a bunch of folks, I'm not signing nothing because I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you live. And just because you're calling a pastor to try to get out of doing some mandate from the government doesn't make you a Christian. Believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. Even knowing God is good doesn't make you a Christian. Sitting in church every single Sunday and coming to Grace Group every single Wednesday don't make you a Christian. Reading your Bible don't make you a Christian. Praying don't make you a Christian. Did that catch everybody? Anybody else? You got something? None of this stuff makes you a Christian. Jesus said, you have got to believe completely in Him. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. If you have a life outside of His life, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I don't know what I'm saying, but you need to sort it. He said it. Amen. And I know we're in church and everybody's got nodded at me. Yes, amen. Preach it, pastor. Harder and stronger and faster. But it's, you don't have to convince me. I'm, I'm not the one that... I don't, I don't know your hearts. Praise God. I don't see behind the veil that most of you put up. The masks that we've been walking around with for all your lives. If you want to wear a mask in front of me, and you not mask like fake medical cloth, dirty sock mask. I'm talking mask of your soul. If you want to hide your soul and not be authentic and transparent and come sit in my office or show up at church, God bless you. You've got zero to prove to me. This isn't about me. But when you mask yourself up and you think Jesus can't see through that, Man, that is so... Because the only one that can honestly get into the center of who you are and help you get through these things is the very one that you're masking yourself from. Praise God. Being a Christian is believing in Jesus. Do you remember the Philippian jailer in Acts when the prison was uh, the prison was shook up by God? There was an earthquake, and every all the chains fell off all the prisoners, and all the prison doors swung open. And the jailer woke up in the middle of the night, and he comes out. And in in Roman uh, by Roman law, if a if a jailer loses one of the folks that he is supposed to be watching. It's his life for the prisoner's life. So if a prisoner escapes, the Roman jail guard dies. It's a life for a life. And so you can imagine his horror when he wakes up in the middle of the night to an earthquake and the prison doors are swung open and he probably, there's what, dozens or hundreds of people in his prison. I mean, it's not just his life because, you know, back in those days, like it's his life, it's his wife, it's your kids, it's your 
Because they'll just keep getting numbers until they get to the right number. And so you can imagine this guy's literal horror in this situation. And so he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, comes out and says, hey, do yourself no harm. We're all here. You could imagine his relief. And then he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And, you know, uh, Pastor Paul, you know, gets him and says, well, you got to come to church on Sunday. Make sure you tithe. Um, read your Bible. You got to share the verse of the day on Facebook. Uh, you got to tell everybody how holy you are because you did that Christian thing on Tuesday. It's amazing that we're real quick to post the Christian thing we did on Tuesday and take the selfies of us doing the really Christian thing. And nobody's ever probably posted, hey, here I am in the middle of my sin being a jerk. <laughs> Share. No, we're always like faking it. Hey, look at me doing my super cool Christian thing. Anyway, I digress. He didn't say, uh, read your Bible. He didn't say, you know, join a synagogue. He, didn't say, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you and your house shall be saved. Believe what? That, the answer that is in your head right now is where you're at. Whatever you say to believe what is where you're at. And it may be good and it may not be. And I know everybody's like, oh, give us the answer. It's not an answer. It's a person. He said, believe on Jesus. Well, believe what about Jesus? Hmm. Bells. 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 Palsy is cursed. In Jesus' name, you are free, completely free. Amen. First, seek the king and his kingdom, and then all these things will be added unto you like uh, Bob was ministering just a minute ago you know we're not we tend to not be very good at doing that investment thing like do the do the front thing that may be a little bit of a selfish sacrifice to eventually get the end result which is something better because we tend to be like in the moment only by the moment only what we can have right now. This is this is available. Hey, it's on sale. Hey, it's on clearance. Hey, if you don't buy this car right now, the a, the APR is going up by. <sighs> okay, we don't. We tend to not do that thing. You know what? I'm going to invest right now. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm gonna I'm gonna give up all of my extra money to get out of debt for the next twelve months. Hey, you want to go? You want to go to Cancun with us? It's only it's on sale. It's only fourteen hundred. No, wow, you know, I was trying to save money to stop doing the debt thing, but but you know, I mean, it is on sale. 
<laughs> I've had gals, and I won't mention any names, but I've had gals come up and say, you know, I literally, when I see sale, it means like you have to get it. And you know that's why they do it. <laughs> You're never going to get an ad where it says, hey, everything's normal priced. <laughs> Just come get what you want. Only, only come and buy what you need. It's all normal priced. There's no rebates. There's no nothing. But we'll say hi to you when you walk in. You will never get that ad. Because that doesn't sell. What sells is, right now, get it. Sale ends on such and such a day. Black Friday. It, it is fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Black Friday. Oh, I'm not gonna go there. I'm. Ooh, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. This is me resisting. Shundai. But seek first. And that word for seek means to investigate or pursue. Investigate. You know, that talks about like literally on purpose doing research. Some folks in the room have been... Uh, I've gone to college and been trained in different law enforcement stuff. And to investigate doesn't mean you just do a surface glance by a leg. Well, it looks like maybe a car came through here. No, it's like, what kind of car? At what speed? At what time? When did they come? Who was the driver? How much did it weigh? Like, investigate, like deep, deep, deep. And this is something that many people don't do, especially when it comes to the scriptures. Most people are like, hey, I read my chapter today. Oh, what'd you learn? Uh, I don't know. What chapter was it? I don't remember. You didn't investigate. You'd be way better off spending an hour in one verse than spending five minutes in one chapter. Because now you're investigating. What did you really mean by that, Lord? And another word for seek is to pursue. You know, pursue, pursue means something's out in front of you and it's moving. And you're going after it. It's like teenage Steve after K. <laughs> Amen. That's a really great example. I could take you deeper, but people will fuss at me. It's like no matter where she was going, I was going. No matter what speed she was traveling, I was traveling. No matter what needed to happen, I was happening. I was pursuing. There was absolutely no way she was getting away from me. Amen. Man, I could transition right here a ton, especially for the single gals. You were, you're built to be pursued. And our society is so jacked up. I don't even know how to untangle and unwind some of this stuff. This is one of the reasons that they're trying to add testosterone to feminism. And so the gals go pursue and chase. You are not meant to pursue and chase. And guys, I am not going to spend a lot of time on this in Jesus' name. But guys, if you think the pursuit ended at the marriage altar, then you have married your hooker. 
saying you need to repent for thinking about your God's daughter in that way. See how quiet I can make it in the church? <laughs> that is just where it starts. I, I pursue Kay's heart more now than I did then. Then I pursued as a teenager in ignorance and man juice. Now I pursue with my heart because I've learned more and more and more about her. Amen. Yesterday was, oh, i got to be careful. <laughs> Yesterday was her birthday, and don't anybody get weird, because if you didn't know, don't try to, like, be special now because you just heard me say it. I, if you don't know Kay and I very well, we are not, those, like, day people, like... Yay, it's our birthday. Dude, great stuff for us. Uh, we are not of destitute of character like many people in America where you, I have to have a day where you celebrate me. I'm not your God. I'm not your idol. I don't need your celebration. I don't need your prizes. If you don't think about me to give me a gift on July 20th, then don't come to me on my birthday and say, oh, it's your birthday. Here, I want to celebrate. If, if a day on the calendar makes you think more about me than the day before... That's why people think Sundays are greater days. Because oh, it's Sunday. It's Jesus' day. Yeah, because Monday's not. Well, Monday belongs to my boss. That's your problem. <laughs> Yesterday was Kay's birthday, and I, I wrote her a note, because Hallmark stinks. Their cards are terrible. And so I, I, I wrote her a letter. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't get you. And I put on the front of it, what, like better than Hallmark or something to try to be funny. To try to take the edge off. Um, but I wrote her a letter and I said, I, I want something to say exactly what I want. And obviously nobody else is going to be able to do that, so I didn't get you a card, so here's my letter. And another thing I said, I, I said, I literally, I'm sorry that I'm not better at being like the gift guy or the celebration guy or the day guy, but I know that you know that I love you every day with everything I am, with all of my heart. I know that you know that. I don't even have to say that. I know that you know that. But I have to say it for me. And that's one of the things... That will tell you where you are in your soul. If people, if you have to have people affirm you and love you and tell you things, then you're not satisfied with Jesus. And if you're not satisfied with Jesus, you will never be satisfied. Ever. If Jesus doesn't do it for you, that hot car, that raise, that Want that new position, that new spouse because your old spouse is worn out. If you're not going to be satisfied with Jesus, I can assure you, there will be nothing that will ever satisfy you. Seek first. Pursue. Set your affection on. Direct your heart towards your king and his kingdom, and then all these things. When you invest 
on the front side. The Lord can take your tiny, itty-bitty investment and do that amazing God thing where he takes this little, tiny seed and it goes into the dirt and then it produces this massive tree that makes millions of fruit. God can do that. But he first needs that seed. He needs that sacrifice. First, pursuit. And then all these things will be added unto you. And the next verse, fear not. I can, I can say this. If you are fully pursuing and seeking after the king and his kingdom, it is very likely that fear is not even a part of your life. I just, I, and I could be wrong here and I, I'm okay with that. But I cannot think of a time that I have been fully focused on the king and his kingdom with all of my heart, all of my affection, and been in fear at the same time. It's just, you just can't. It's God. How could you be that focused on God and fearful at the same time? In fact, one of the red flags, like one of the penalty flags you should throw in your own life is if you find yourself getting into fear, you should say, I'm probably not focused where I need to be focused because somehow I got into fear. Same thing for... One of the red flags in my life is... uh, is if I ever find myself getting fussy with Kay. Because she's perfect. And I, I know when I say that, people get all irritated at me. Well, sorry. I didn't, I didn't make her. Talk to God if you don't like it. If, if I find myself getting fussy at her, well, I don't know why Kay didn't do this, and she didn't say this, and she did, if I find myself getting fussy at her, it is like immediate now. <laughs> now. It took me a long time. But it's immediate now that I'm like, oh, I'm not okay with Jesus. Because if I was okay with Jesus, I would totally be okay with Kay. You guys know her, don't you? Um, that's her daughter, too. Look out. It's like, I've said this before. Like, If you've got an issue with me, I get it. I really do. I know how I am. I know how people really... I know everybody always says all the time, especially in church, I, I just want the truth. I, I want the truth that'll make me free. I really want it. I really want it. And then when somebody gives them the truth, they're like, hey, jerk. Nobody asked you for that. You asked me for the truth. Yeah, but not that truth. <laughs> you got to tell me. Otherwise, I'm just going to give you the truth. I'm, I'm the truth guy. I come in, I'm like, hey, love you, here's some truth. And people are like, ah, you're a jerk, hate you. Kay does this gracious thing where she's just like, hey. And everybody, Kay's so beautiful and she's so gracious and she's wonderful. And so if you have a problem with Steve, I get it. Sometimes I got a problem with myself. <laughs> if you got a problem with Kay, you got a problem. It ain't gay. If it's me, eh, it might be me. And I, a little mite. Like mighty mouse. Fear not, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father's good pleasure. Do you know you can please God? There's a difference between God being pleased in you 
and God being pleased by you. And this is a whole sermon. I get it, and I, and I can't develop it. God is pleased in you because of you being born again, and the Spirit of Christ is perfect, and so in you, He's pleased. But by you is words, actions, attitudes, behaviors, lifestyle. There's a ton of folks that are born again that God ain't been pleased by them in a long time. Uh, Let's move on. Romans chapter (laughs) 8. I know. People... I don't have the time to balance every single thing I say all the time, and so sometimes I just like drop stuff, and I'm like, "Holy Spirit, that one's yours." So if you don't, if if you're struggling with something that I say, uh, first ask the Holy Spirit, and if He doesn't tell you, you I, I don't know what to do. I guess you can ask me. Ro- Romans eight. I didn't. I didn't tell uh, the folks in on the computer this, but I'm going to start Romans eight eighteen. Because I need you to understand that one-third of you, your spirit person, is 100% completely God. It could not be more holy. It could not be more righteous. It could not have more power. It could not have more love. It could not have more glory. It is the Spirit of Christ. Romans 6, uh, 17 says that he who is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. Or that was 1 Corinthians six seventeen. You're one spirit. On The spirit on the inside of you is the Spirit of Christ. And it could not be any more perfect. It could not be more God. Amen. That should... Make a bunch of you have tingles. And then, there's your carcass. Yep. Yep. And that sucker, hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. When we were kids, mom was really, really good at patching pants. Because we were really, really good at making holes. And I remember the day that... uh, that mom found out or that she got or whatever, uh, the iron on, you know, because before that you had to sew every patch and it was like a full-time job sewing patches. She had four boys. That's a full-time job. And when they got the iron on patches, oh, I mean, we had pads that were all patch. (laughs) Amen. And some of you have carcasses that are all patch. And you have a regular weekly visit with your medical doctor, and you got a, a regular daily visit to your medicine cabinet with the patch, and the pill, and the jab, and the, and your carcass is all patch. That's not the way God intended for it to be. Your soul, man. The other third of you. So you have a spirit that's a third of you. You have your body that's a third of you. And then your soul is kind of like the gateway. If the Spirit of God has has complete permission, no hindrance whatsoever 
through your soul, man, then it is pouring into your body, and your body is receiving the life like rivers of living water, Jesus said, that would come from your belly. That's why everybody that even got anywhere near Jesus got affected by who he was and what he was. If you remember Peter uh, in Acts uh, 17, I think. No, that's way too late. Acts uh, chapter 6. Peter's shadow was healing people. FYI, Jesus didn't even have that. <coughs> Amen. That'll, that'll mess with you. Peter's shadow was healing folks. Because rivers of living water were flowing out of Peter so much that even just his shadow touching folks was affecting them. And it wasn't because Peter was awesome and super special. Uh, please, Peter's shadow. I think it's literally in there just to mess with people. But it was his shadow. Yeah, the dark part of Peter. Man, I hope you got that. To the degree that your soul is allowing your spirit to have unhindered access to your body is the degree that your carcass will re- otherwise go to the doctor. Because the doctor is going to do the best he can to keep you held together. And, and they, God bless the doctors. If it wasn't for the doctors, all the Christians would be dead. But Jesus intended to be our great physician. And by his stripes, we have been healed 2,000 years ago before you had a single gray hair. He healed you before you needed it. That's called grace. Providing before the need. Your soul, to the degree that your soul allows that to flow, your body will receive it. To the degree that your soul says, "Uh uh-uh, there ain't no healing in Christianity, then your soul takes all of the grace that's flowing from the spirit man for healing, and it says, nope, stop. Same thing for people that reject prosperity. If you reject prosperity, then your soul says, nope, any grace that's coming for prosperity, you go no farther. We're going to work two jobs and overtime and try to get a better career. That's how we're going to have prosperity. Whatever, be it unto you according to what you believe, Jesus said. And your soul is where you determine what you believe. So one third of you is is literally God. I know that's messing with a ton of the religious folks. One third of you is carcass. And then the other third of you determines... And that carcass part of you, the natural part of our lives, is literally crying out. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings, plural, sufferings. I love saying that in church because people are like, (gasps) sufferings of this present time. Anybody? Any present time issues that you'd love to see? Okay, for the other 90 of you that have no sufferings and no present time problems, please lay hands on the rest of us carnal people. For the, I reckon, just in case you didn't know, Paul was southern. That's why he said reckon. That's why, that's why I say y'all and reckon and fixin and, cause I'm like Paul. I'm spiritual. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Where? In. In. Not two. Not four. Where is the glory coming from? 
No, it's coming down out of heaven like a UFO on the last day, on the seventh trump. For the earnest expectation of the creature, your creature, yeah, you're a creature, some of you more creature than others, which literally means like the created part of you, the creative part. So your soul was created and your body was created. Your spirit was uncreated because it's the spirit of God. So the created part of you, the creature part of you, waits for the manifestation. Manifestation means appearing, showing up. Manifestation of the sons of God. And all the gals are like, what about the daughters? There's no daughters. There's sons. It's not a gender term. It's, God's not a sexist. He, he's not affected by 2021 and people who cannot figure out gender versus... I'm not even going to go there. It is talking about inheritance. The firstborn son gets the inheritance. The nextborn gets a half portion of the inheritance. So Jesus, the firstborn son, gets the whole inheritance, and then he does this amazing thing where he gives us all of his inheritance. Man. Waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Your creature is waiting for you to act like, be like, and manifest God. Man, give your creature something that helps it. For the creature was made subject to vanity. You know what vanity means? A bunch of stuff that don't matter. Like your calendar. Amen. Amen. All that stuff that you think that you need to do all the time. If it's not submitted to God, it's vanity. And I'm preaching to me too, so don't look at me all holy. I got stuff that is probably vanity in my life. Vanity doesn't just mean you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, you're the most beautiful. No, that's the world's version. Vanity means there's things in your life that you are putting your affection into that don't belong. They're useless. Man, I can probably take most people's checkbook registers in this room and say, well, found it. For the creature was made subject. It means submitted. Your created part was made submitted to things of vanity. Like showers. Right, baby? Not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope. And I don't have time to untangle all that, but the point of what it's saying was you didn't, Adam screwed it all up and we had to live with his screw up. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. One of the reasons I preach liberty and freedom with so much fervency is because liberty is something that God created that we are supposed to be living in. And You're not free because you're an American. 
especially today, dear God, this, the founding fathers would have called this the greatest form of socialism, communism, monarchy that they would, they would have, okay, this is the government, today's government in 2021 is the government that the founding fathers shot with muskets. Amen. And I'm not telling anybody to take up a musket. I'm just saying. This form of government is the form of government that our founding fathers went to war against. You should be at war against this form of government. And I'm not talking about guns and bullets and all that kind of stuff. So don't come out of here and say, Steve told me to go start out. No. You should be warring the legal right way. Which is resisting tyranny. And tyrants. And letting them know that you're resisting them. I had a bunch of pastors come up to me um, after they find out uh, what I did, what we did, uh, fighting against the government. And they'd come up and, and they have their chest puffed out and say, I never closed my church either. And I'm like, well, God bless you. I'm like, how many people did you tell? Well, we didn't tell nobody. We didn't invite nobody to church. We kind of stayed quiet, but we didn't close our church. I'm like, so- that's the whole opposite. The point of us staying open was to tell them that we were staying open. Hey, we're not closing the church. <laughs> and we're telling you we're not closing the church. So come on. Let's go. If you're just going to sneak around, then this is what people, well, you know, I don't, I don't like these new taxes. Oh, what are you doing about it? Well, I'm just kind of secretly not paying some. Oh, well, God bless you. Aren't you just out there? You're like Daniel. On the prayer, read your Bible. Daniel went into his prayer chamber, threw open the windows, stood there in full public view, and prayed to the God that was illegal to pray to. That's what people got. That's David. What is this uncircumcised Philistine thinking he can say to our people? You know, all of the other Israelis were like, well, you know, I mean, he's uncircumcised, we're circumcised, we're the people of God, they're not the people of God. And then David shows up. He's like, wait, 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 wait. This is not okay. And then they're all like, hey, shut up. He'll do something to us. That's how a lot of people live. If you just shut up and you just play by the rules and you do everything you're told, everything will be okay, right? Yes. You'll be a good little slave. And you'll have all the things that slave gets. You were not created to be a slave. You were created to live in the glorious Liberty of a children, a child of God. Is that different than your life today? I don't know. For we know that the whole creation, your whole soul, your whole body groans. Sometimes you can hear it. It sounds like old age. Groans and travails in pain. Until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits is your spirit. You have the, the first fruits means like a down payment. Because you have the Holy Spirit, because you've been born again, that's God saying, you have, this is proof. Like a down payment is proof that you're going to own that car or whatever you have a down payment on. The Spirit of God in you is the proof. It's the down payment from God that the rest of redemption is available to you. 
If you are born again, if you have the Spirit of God, it is absolute proof that God wants you to have the rest of it. And that is contrary to most religions. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, which means to the end, the redemption of our body. The word redemption means to purchase back. God wants to buy back your body. God is not averse to the physical realm. He made the physical realm. On purpose. He didn't need it, you know. Like, God was super fine. The Trinity, the angels, heaven. It's not like heaven got heavenly after He made the earth and then there was something to compare it to. Heaven has always been heaven. It's always been perfect. It's always been beautiful and awesome. Everything that you can think heaven is, heaven's always been that. And God's always been God. He added to everything by making the natural realm. And so he wants the natural realm to come into what he added to. That means this realm. And I know when I preach this stuff, people are like, man, you are so out there. Like, no way. Yeah, way. God wants this realm to be like the original realm that he created. That's why he told Jesus, or that's why Jesus told us in instructions on how to pray that we should have the will of God on earth as equal to exactly like heaven. Which means if your life is not exactly like somebody's in heaven right now, then we still got some stuff to do. Ephesians 2. Uh, starting in verse 4. Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, and I know it's starting with but, and I I wrestled with God the whole time, like, hey, if I take this back to Ephesians 1, 1, like I can put in context. And he's like, they're not going to wait until tomorrow to get the rest of it. And I said, God, make them more spiritual. I didn't say that. But God, who is rich in mercy. Hey, you know when God says someone's rich? Okay, if you think someone's rich, it's because their car's paid off. You follow me? Because that's your context. Uh, what, what a millionaire thinks is rich is based on his context. What a billionaire thinks is rich, it's based on his context. What God thinks is rich... So how... Rich is God in mercy. Do you think he's richer than your sin? Richer than your mistakes? Richer than your your bad attitude? Richer than all the things that the evil cabal is doing in our world? Is he richer than that? Or is there like a limit to how rich his rich is? But God, who is rich in mercy, for, this is why he's rich in mercy, because of his great love, that he loves us. Not just his great love, but his great love that he loves us with. Even when we were dead in sins. When did he love you? When you were unlovely. 
at the ugliest, most terrible, most dark, demonic, sickly, wicked moment of your life, God did not love you more or less than he does right now. He won't love you more or less in that moment than he will a billion years from now in heaven. His love for us is not conditional on us. It's conditional on him. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Even when we were dead in sins, has, past tense, and I know it's King Jamesy, but half means past tense, has quickened us together with Christ. You are alive. Quickened means uh, living or alive. The quick of your fingernail is the part where it grows. It's the living part of you. So you have been made alive together with Christ. It wasn't just His resurrection. This is something that irritates me a lot around Easter time or whatever word you want to call it because you don't like the word Easter. In, in that day, it wasn't His resurrection. That was really the big thing. The big thing was the resurrection that he was a part of. He was raised with us. We were raised with him. It wasn't just Jesus' Easter. <laughs> it's our Easter. It was the Easter. It was the resurrection. Amen. Well, I'll preach the rest of that. On Easter. <laughs> Quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And has raised us up, past tense, are you raised up together? Yes. Okay. And made us sit together. You know why he made you sit? Because you're fidgety. <laughs> like every other kid. Sit still, sit still. When we were little kids, mom would take us to grandma's house. Man, you could learn a ton from going to Grandma's house. And we would have to sleep with Grandma. That was the rules. We slept with Grandma, uh, Tim on one side, Grandma in the middle, and me on the other side. And you could not breathe all night. Because if you moved, she would say, be still. All night long. I didn't even know I was moving most of the time. You wake up, be still. I, I was as still as I know how to sleep still. <laughs> She'd always say, be still, be still. And so you ever tried to, you ever try to be still? <laughs> A hair moved. <laughs> My eye flickered. He made us sit together with him. He made us still. On the inside, your spirit is at rest. Your spirit is not agitated like the rest of you. Your spirit is not listening to news reports and going, Oh my God, what are we going to do? Uh, wait, I'm God. It, God's never been like, Oh, did you... Uh, an angel shows up, Gabriel comes up, Father, there's a, a war. What are you going to do? God's like, Oh my, a war? What? I don't know. Jesus, what do you think? It, it's covered. It, it, the cycles of heaven are not moved by the cycles of earth. It should be the opposite. Earth should be moving with the cycles of heaven. That's what we call awakening. That's what we call revival. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. Made us sit together. Balance. Together. Us. 
in balance with him. That's together. He didn't make us sit. We're not dogs. You sit. It's not that. It's sit with me. It is us cooperating with him. It is him being king and us cooperating with his kingship. It's balance. It's not me in charge now. I'm running all of heaven and all of earth. Hold on, let me think about it. Man, there's a bunch of governors that would be needing new diapers. It's, it's not me in charge of heaven and earth. And it's not God just sovereignly ruling over everything and everybody is a puppet on a string. It is us seated together with Him. To the degree that you cooperate with His will is the degree that His will takes place in your life. And so many people have this backwards. Well, this is what's happening in my life, so therefore this must be God's will. Oh, you poor fool. God's will is good. Verse 7. That in, the age, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. We went from rich mercy to exceeding. Okay. Rich. I don't know what, I don't know how you agitize. Is that a word? No. Where's Mitchell? No. Who? That's right. My pulpit. I don't know how you add an adjective. Is that, can I say that? Yeah? How you add an adjective to rich. Because rich is like exceeding rich. So his, he's rich in mercy. He's exceeding rich in grace. <laughs> Amen. That's a stop and shout right there. Grace is the divine empowerment of God. Grace is the power that Jesus operated in. Grace is the power that Jesus still operates in. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace, I mean, there is a ton of definitions to grace because grace is like off the definition chart. And then you add rich to that, and then you add exceeding rich to that. Uh, Let me just, let me just say it this way. Your problem ain't God. By far. God is not your problem. God has never been your problem. God will never be your problem. And I know that everybody's like, yeah, amen, preach it, Pastor. But I've heard some of you pray. And in your prayers, you make it really clear that you think that God is your problem. God, send revival. God, do something about my terrible spouse. God, don't you know how much money I need? God, don't you know how terrible, sickly I am? God, heal me. That means God's your problem. Any prayer along that line means that God is your problem. Let me help you real quick. Your problem is, likely, and these numbers are different for different people. Your problem is 50% you. All the, all the humble people said amen right there. Now, I, I, you don't get to add it later. 
called false humility. 50% of your problem is you. You literally on purpose want to muck up your life because you like it mucked up. You know those people that are dramatic, drama queens, drama kings or whatever? And you know they think that they're not drama queens and drama kings? Because they like the drama. So they keep creating it, and you're like, why do you keep doing this? I'm not doing it, they're doing it. (laughs) Okay, let's move on, because y'all don't like that. 25% of your problem, so 50% is you, 25% of your problem is other people. I'll, I'll admit that other people cause problems. You don't have to submit to the problems other people cause, but I will admit that about 25% of your problems are other people. Can you, uh, can you change, fix, or do anything with other people? So does it make sense worrying about that? 25% of your problem is Satan. And I know all the all the really religious and, and spiritual people in the room. No, 100% of my problem is Satan. It's all Satan. <laughs> okay, let me just say this. There's one Satan, one, and there's seven and a half billion people. Satan's not God. He's not omnipresent. He's, omnis- he's not omniscient. There's one Satan. And if you think, God bless your darling little heart. If you think that Satan is going to stop dealing with all of the millions of leaders that are worshiping him and sacrificing children and doing all the stuff that they're doing, to come and stop by your house and give you a headache? You're just prideful and arrogant. Now, his kingdom as a whole is working against you. I get all that kind of stuff. But he lost all of his power and all of his authority in hell to Jesus. So any the only thing he can do to you is talk you into letting him do terrible stuff to you. This is why he gives you CNN. I get a clap for CNN. Are you come on y'all. Let's be more spiritual than that. Due to the fact that the majority of our problems, let me say 51%, is ourselves, and the only person you're really in charge of, I can eliminate half your problems right here tonight. Or for some of you, maybe way more than that. But we'll just stay at half because I don't want anybody to get all weirded out. Literally today, we can deal with half your problems. Balance. Verse 8, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. What's good? Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Before you were born, God ordained that you would walk in good. For by grace are you saved through faith. So salvation in your life. And the word sozo is the word saved. Or a deviation of the word sozo. Sozo means saved, delivered, healed, 
prospered, rescued, made safe. So any part of your life, not just your spirit and you get to go to heaven saved, because most people translate saved as meaning that, like fire insurance paid, I'm going to heaven when I die. That's, that, is, that is the least uh, interpretation of saved. Saved means delivered, preserved, rescued, healed. In fact, the word saved, sozo, was used multiple times literally talking about people physically getting healed. If you were saved from a sickness, you're saved. If you're saved out of poverty, you're saved. If you're saved out of the street from a, a, a runaway semi, you're saved. If you're saved out of communism and terrorism, you're saved. Saved is saved. There's a lot of applications. If your soul is rescued out of, out of torment and stress and anxiety, you're saved. So you are saved by grace through faith. They're seated together. They have to be seated together. You're not saved by grace. If people were saved by grace, everybody would be saved. Do you know any unsaved people? Are they sitting next to you? (laughs) There are people that are in this room. You're not rescued from stuff. You're totally in here, anxious and under the authority and the control of, of, of things and stuff and sin and misery and pain and mental anguish and, and poverty and sickness and disease. So you're saved by grace through faith. Grace is God's part. And you got nothing to do with it. It comes to every person all the time since the beginning of grace, which was Jesus. He was grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 17. The fullness of grace and truth. Jesus is the grace of God. He came to rescue all of mankind. And he did his job. He did his job to rescue us from everything that ever needed to be rescued from. And that grace is available to all of us today. For those of us seated in heavenly places, we can take it and apply it to our lives. If we're seated in earthly places, we're going to be like, God, send grace. Our part of salvation is faith. God's part is grace. God sends grace. Um, I don't want to get theological on you, but we're getting into things called Calvinism and Armenianism and, and prevenient grace and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and you don't need to know all that stuff, but Calvinism basically says... Um, Basically says what most people in America say today that are Christian-ish. They say, well, God's in charge. God's in control. If you've ever said God's in charge and you've ever said God's in control, you have just made God Satan. Amen. Nope. I can, I can hear the people in YouTube land screaming and throwing a remote at the TV. Because we want to believe God's in charge and God's in control. Depending on which God you're talking about. Amen. Because if you look around, hopefully you can understand that the God who is rich in mercy and exceeding rich in grace is not designing all of this stupid. Amen. If you think that God's in charge and God's in control 
and children are being kidnapped, and people are being jabbed to death, and countries are being under tyrannical control, and there's terrorists and terrorism and human trafficking and drug trafficking and gun trafficking, and you say God's in control? I don't like your God. And you shouldn't either. God is not in charge and God is not in control. That is called Calvinism and I completely, wholeheartedly reject Calvinism. Calvinism is one of the most dangerous things that have ever happened to humanity because they make it as if God is is everything and there is no Satan. And it makes you have no faith because you just basically say, well, it wouldn't happen if it wasn't God's will. So then, therefore, everything that happens in your life is God's will, good and bad, which means there is no Satan. There's God and bad God. There's good mood God, bad mood God. God's bipolar. He's schizophrenic. And depending on what day it is and what side of the bed he wakes up on, tomorrow you're going to get either good God or bad God. And that is atrocious. That is horrendous. For people who have been saved by Jesus, who have read the story of the Gospels, when did Jesus kill someone? When did Jesus make someone sick? We have a family member, Kay and I have a family member who got breast cancer and almost died and had little kids. And fought and went through the whole thing and the chemo and terrible and it was horrendous. And got on the other side and got healed and and now she's better. God bless her. She's better now. But she told us, like to our face, well, God did this to me. He did this to me because I had to slow down and I had to trust Him. And in that time when I was almost dying in the hospital, I went to the Word and I started praying and I got more intimate with God. So God did this to me. You know, if I did that to Kay, there isn't a civilized society on this earth that wouldn't put me in prison and or kill me. If I had to, if I taught my kids a lesson, I got Hannah and Gunnar up here and I said, okay, I'm going to teach you a lesson. It's terrible to be abused by people and then punched them both in the face in front of you and broke their noses. And I said, whoa, 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 I'm good. I was just showing them what it's like to be punched in the face so they can avoid it. It is not, God is not in charge and not in control of all of this. You know what God is in charge of and in control of? The kingdom. He's the king of the kingdom. To the degree that you're in the kingdom, God is in charge and in control. To the degree that you're, you're straddling the fence, He's half in charge, half in control. To the degree that you're not, you're just out there dangling on a hook. You're a worm, and Satan is a piranha. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. Who can he devour? Only people in his kingdom. Satan doesn't get to come into the kingdom. The kingdom has walls. Amen. For all those people that are mad that we're trying to build a wall on our southern border, heaven has a wall. And heaven has a very, very strict immigration policy... And there's one gate. And his name is Jesus. <laughs> Amen. 
For by grace you are saved through faith. Faith is your part. Grace is God's part. Grace is to all mankind. First, uh, first John 2, 2, it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means payment. Jesus is the payment for our sins. Anybody believe that? Anybody else? Did did Jesus pay for your sins? All of them? Even the ones you ain't done yet? Okay. And also for all those people that stick a finger in his eye. Because he's also the payment for the sins of the whole world. And you might be thinking, well, Jesus wasted some grace because there's a bunch of people that aren't going to respond to his grace. He didn't waste nothing. Sending his grace, sending his love, and doing what he did to rescue all of mankind wasn't a waste of anything. Now, are there people that are going to reject it? Yeah. I have. I cannot tell you how often I've been with someone and I'm like, man, I wish I could tell them the truth. And they go away and they get into a train wreck and they wasted the opportunity to have truth to protect them from a train wreck. And God will pull them out. You know, you can have all the train wrecks you want and God will completely keep redeeming you. You can be just like Lois Lane and fall off every building and Superman will swoop in right before you hit the dirt and he'll rescue you and he'll hug you and he'll kiss you and he'll take you back up to your office. And then the next time you want to see Jesus, you'll just fall back out of the mountain or fall back out of the building again. Oh, Jesus! That's Savior-oriented salvation. Savior-oriented means you need to be saved all the time. Fall, get saved. Fall, get saved. Fall, get saved. Fall, get saved. That is not the life that God has for you. He wants you to live in His Lordship. Lordship means He's the one that rules and reigns over your life. He directs your paths. And you don't have to worry when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Because He's with you. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Let me say this. This is one of those scriptures that people say, That's it. That's the end time verse. This is how we can figure out everything. And now we know exactly when Jesus is coming back because of this one verse. Um, that's cute. And, and really awesome. Congratulations, you can do math. And now you've figured out the entire complexity of end time events and God himself. Because you can do math to turn one into a thousand. Or what this is saying in context has to do with his ability to keep promises. Like it says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Long-suffering, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years as a day, long-suffering, that seems like they go together. But is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all... What does all mean in the Greek? Hebrew? So who does God want to come to repentance? God is not in charge. God is not in control. You are. I would encourage you to submit to His control. Life is way better. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. These are equals. 
To the degree that you submit to God, you resist the devil. To the degree that you submit to the devil, you resist God. Not me. I don't ever resist God. Oh, really? Do you want me to follow you around for an hour or a minute? Because we do this all the time. Every time he brings a thought, a temptation, an idea from his kingdom on how you should do life, on what you should say to the person next to you, on how you should feel... Every time you submit to that, you resist what God wants to do. But every time you submit to what God wants to do, you kick the devil in the shin. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And what happens when you resist the devil? What? You know what flee means? It's not like in the movies, flee. It means run from as if in terror. Flee. That's what the devil should be doing to you. You know how many people say, well, the devil came and he did the thing and the stuff. I've had people, I've had to fuss it, folks, because they've stood at this pulpit with the microphone. They said, let me tell you what the devil did to me. I'm like, we will never, ever, ever testify to the devil in this church ever again. You're not allowed to talk for six days. The de- well, how about this one? I've had people say this. Well, I resisted him and he didn't flee. Okay, you're asking me to believe you or believe this verse. Please, please don't put me there. That's when I start saying the truth and then people get mad and then I get to send K after him. Just don't do that to me. If you resist, he flees. Got two amens. That's good. That's better than zero. So what does God want to do for you? Mark chapter 10. Uh, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Hey, I want to have eternal life. I want to have the quality and the quantity of the life that you, God, already have. I need that. I want that. You know, a lot. this is actually pretty uh, radical. Because a lot of people don't want that. I've... <laughs> I've never, and I've been doing ministry 26 years, I have never had someone run up to me, throw themselves on the ground and say, Steve, I have got to have the quality and the quantity of life that God himself has. Not yet. Jesus did. This guy literally ran up to him, threw himself on the ground and said, Good master, what can I do to have your quality, your quantity of life? And then Jesus said, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Here's a beloved t-shirt and sit here on Sundays. You know, Jesus ran off, folks, a lot. A lot. He was so secure in the truth that he would run folks off if they were not transparent and authentic. And when he'd come forth... Uh, When he'd come forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit inherit eternal life? What was his response? Why do you call me good? (laughs) That is the exact opposite of every preacher I know. Someone came up, Pastor, I want to get saved. I want (laughs) to say, what is salvation? Most pastors would say, well, here, we'll dunk you. And there you go. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Think about it for you. Is Jesus good? Don't answer. Is Jesus good? And what is your definition of good? 
And does Jesus really fit your definition of good? And if he doesn't fully, completely fit your definition of good, maybe your definition of good is not okay. What Jesus taxed this guy with prior to him having the opportunity for salvation, for eternal life, for abundant life, before that he had to admit that Jesus was good, that God is the only good, and that Jesus is God. And he wasn't willing to do it. Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, a man from a place. A man from a place. Jesus of Nazareth, a man from a place. didn't say Jesus the Christ. It didn't say Messiah from heaven. It didn't say virgin born guy with the angels singing. It says Jesus, man from Nazareth, place. I am Steve from Pearl City. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost. I have the Holy Ghost. Anybody else in here? Okay, the three of you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. So what did Jesus do for three and a half years? He went about doing good. How does God define good? Healing all. How does the world define good? Getting cancer and learning your lesson. You got that. God made you get in that car wreck to teach you something. The more car wrecks you're in, you know, if this was true, if this was the principle of heaven, that the more people tribulated, the more problems that people had, the holier they were, don't you know this church would float? Because y'all have gone through some stuff. It is not true that the more problems you go through, the holier you get. In fact, most people, the more problems they go through, the more bitter they become. The more angry they become. And the quicker they walk away from God. Well, God didn't do that for me. God never healed me. I prayed for six years. God never healed me. You know, Grandma was a good person and she prayed that God would heal her. She never got healed. I'm done with this God guy. Yeah, all the time. Problems don't come into your life to make you holy. Problems come into your life to destroy you. But God can do that amazing thing that every once in a while somebody goes through a problem, they get on the other side and they say, wow, I was stupid. I'm not going to be stupid like that anymore. (laughs) Hey, you learn something. Problems can help you work on your patience, but that doesn't mean God sends you problems. The enemy is trying to destroy you. Everything that's coming against you is to destroy you. And God doesn't want you to be destroyed. So he'll meet you in your problem. This is why some of you have gone through terrible things in your life. Terrible, terrible things in your life. And God met you in the middle of that thing. And you had a radical encounter in the middle of your terrible. And you can't imagine any other way to meet God but go through that terrible thing. And then we end up with this theology or this doctrine of when terrible things come, they come from God. Because look what happens good. 
No, God is able to work all things together for good because you love Him and you're called according to purpose. But that doesn't mean that He's sending all the bad to you just to prove He can work everything for good. He is not some master of puppets like Metallica sang about that's got you on a string and he's like, oh, problems, oh, isn't it great? Oh, look what I'm going to do to America. Oh, if you pray more, I'll bring revival. That is not the way God is. God is revived. You want to know what my doctrine is on revival? Be like God. He's revived. If you're like God and He's revived, then you have revival. To the degree that people are asleep and watching glowing screens and playing on Netflix and doing their own life, there's unrevived. The balance is for you to receive the grace that God is sending to you, unmerited favor, by faith. It means you believe that God actually wants you healed. You look at the stripes, you say, those stripes weren't for Jesus, those were for me. That poverty that Jesus was in, that wasn't for him, that was for me. That resurrection, that wasn't for him, that was for me. That him dying and going to hell wasn't for him, it was for me. When you believe that, then you appropriate that through your soul and it comes into your world. Your natural body, your finances, your, your emotions, whatever you got. When you appropriate what God has done by grace, you receive it by faith, then it manifests in your life. That means you're seated together with Him. You guys are working like a well-oiled team. Co-laboring in what God wants to do in your life and in this planet. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.